0: Welcome to the I'm Spiritual (laughs) Podcast. My name is Matt Stewart. I'm a transformational coach, and it is my mission to bring purpose to the purposeless. This podcast is for gaining insights into the deeper layers of our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies to unlock our inner potential and allow for healing. Let's deep dive down the rabbit hole of self-development and spirituality to get a no-bullshit look at what works and what doesn't work. Welcome, Derek, thanks for being here. Glad we got everything worked out.
1: My pleasure, thanks for having me.
0: Very excited to start this, very excited to learn more about you, your journey, and learn more about your best self meditation So It's gonna be great. Awesome, I'm excited to share with you. So let's dive right in. What's
1: something people misunderstand about you? When you say that, the first thing that comes to mind, I would consider misunderstanding is perhaps my passion for either anger or frustration. And I say that because a good friend of mine, uh, we we were speaking passionately about a topic and he had said something to me along the lines of, wow, Derek, it doesn't sound like you have anything positive to say about this particular subject, which is something he's mentioned before. In in conversations we've had, and I have either held my tongue or diverted the conversation, or maybe even switched my tone to kind of go, oh, maybe I am being a little bit um, over the top or angry or frustrated or something. And in this particular instance, I was like, you know, please don't mistake my passion for aggression. You know, I'm speaking passionately passionately to you about something that's very important and because I'm not maybe talking about the brighter side or the wonderful things I'm I'm talking about the issue it may seem as though that I have nothing positive to say but this conversation isn't about that it's about this particular thing and I think what's interesting about that what I recognize is passion you know I'm I'm glad that I have it you know I would consider myself to be an emotional passionate person and you can get Caught up, you can get swept away in emotion and you can get, you know, swept away in passion. You know, there's crimes of passion. Um, So I think sometimes that can be misunderstood or misread. However, I want to own that. And I'm actually happier that I have too much passion or that I'm overly passionate about something than not to have any because I think it's important. And I think it's something that, you know, has fueled me. And I think it is paramount in my existence and in the work that I do, but I do understand <laughs> how it can be misconstrued and that, and that's okay. That's okay. I, you know, I'm coming to understand passion looks different for people and hearing it come from me, especially, you know, if I do become frustrated or if I feel like I can't get my point across and I want you so desperately to understand it can come out a bit more aggressive than I would like it to. So long answer is passion being misconstrued for anger or frustration.
0: I love that honesty I love that insight about yourself because right now I feel like it's a time that so many people out there don't have that passion. They don't have that fire. You know, everybody's looking around right now like, what do I want to do? What's the bigger picture? Why are we here? The spiritual sort of awakening that's going on right now. And here you are, you have that and you have it so much that it's one of those things that people don't understand about you. It's it's really interesting when you think about it. It's like too much of that fire can really be off-putting.
1: Yeah, and you know, the interesting thing about it too is I've struggled with this, this term or the pushback or the conversation around what I've heard experts say, don't follow your passion or telling people to follow your passion is really bad advice. And one of the arguments being is that that statement assumes that you have a passion and not that everybody does. And so when I take that into consideration, I'm like, okay, I I get that. And then I had passion explained to me like this. Everybody has a passion, everyone has it. And when people say that they don't know, what what they might mean is they are not willing to announce or ascribe what their passion actually is. Because if we got to the root of it, if I asked you something that you love over everything else, has nothing to do with any other context, just that one thing, we could identify this as your passion. But somehow in conversation, like admitting that you have a passion because maybe it's fleeting or you think passion is supposed to be the thing that rouses you up or that you never lose sight of. And the thing about passion, it's like anything else. It changes. It comes and goes. It ebbs and flows. And so I would challenge that everybody actually does have a passion. Being able to actually admit it and say, this is what you were passionate about is a different thing. I feel fortunate that I was able to figure that out and identify that at a young age, um, as a young artist and a young dancer, because when I met my husband, I recognized that he had a passion or he struggled with understanding his passion or actually living it because he came from a culture and from a family construct that kind of dampered it and said, no, 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 no. You can't do this thing that you want. And so it was like he was looking for it. And I met him when he was a little bit older and he had left where he'd come from and came to the United States to find his passion. And here I was kind of had been living it my whole life since I was 14 or 15. And I watched how dynamically different we were and how we interacted and behaved with each other and with the world. And, you know, so passion, that's the thing. It's, it looks different for for everybody. I, I'm going to say this too. I, I tell people to follow their passion all the time because I also believe a passion-free existence. What is that? I don't know. I'm lucky to not know what that is. I want to believe that it's something I don't want to know. I want to know... I want to live, I want to see, I want to be with, I want to eat, breathe passion and be with passionate people. I want to know what lights you up. I want to know what gets you out of bed. I want to know what is the thing that you want to keep doing over and over and over again? Because I also want to know how can I play a part in supporting that in helping you cultivate that? And maybe you doing the same for me. It's an, passion is a very (laughs) interesting idea and topic. Great question. Thank you for asking that.
0: Yeah. I'd love to share and follow up with that. I mean, you said, what's it like to not have passion now? you never experienced that. And I can talk from my own perspective of it feels like, cause I never had passion, I never knew what it was until a few years ago, honestly, truthfully. This, it feels like it's this disconnection from self and the, the visual that I got when I was struggling with drugs, alcohol, and, you know, uh, food addiction and all that. It was imagine being at the bottom of this deep, dark, cold well. And you're down there surrounded by that darkness and you look up and way in the distance you can see this little yellow light shining down right and it's the sun and you see and you know it's this thing that you can get but you have no idea how to get there because you're trying to clean out all of these cobwebs you're in the pitch black you don't know that you can start to climb up that well and slowly get there and every step you take when you start to do you know this healing work inner child work somatic work you know, losing weight, getting sober, all of these things, you get closer and closer to the top. And then finally you get up there to where you can start to really reconnect with yourself and who you are and actually stand in that sunlight. Mm -hmm. It's me. That's what that passion is. It's, it's literally sunlight. It's that fire, that intensity, just like you said, it's Sometimes you get burned with it, you know? <laughs> when sure. you're first trying to find your passion. I mean, life without passion, speaking from my experience, it's bleak as fuck, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think sometimes we can almost use the word imagination or creativity in the same context in that I think we come into the world as children, creative beings who are using their imaginations all the time because we don't have an idea about what something really is supposed to be or not to be. We play. We play in fantasy. And I think well-meaning adults and parents and parental fingers are doing their best to try to shape and mold us to become responsible human beings. And in doing so, might want to talk you out of some of the fantasy or the creativity or the imagination that you're doing, especially because it's not lucrative. It's not going to help you become this well-adjusted person. So when I think about like artists, myself included, I love daydreaming to this day. I love to fantasize about what something could be. A lot of times it's bodies in motion or it's colors or it's sound or it's music. And I can definitely remember being told, you know, you're daydreaming or you shouldn't be doing this certain thing or this creative, all this stuff. How is it going to make you money? How is it going? How are you going to make a living? And then these really serious ideas and subjects started to enter the picture where maybe pushing those things aside would have been better for me and then at the same time it was passion that was like oh no honey this is you have to do this you know these other people don't really understand and you know looking back you know, I'm going to be 47 on thursday and i've been in the in the industry for over 30 years and i know that i would not have gotten to where i, I have been or or what I've done without passion, especially in the times of having like no money and maybe no prospects on the horizon. And yet I wouldn't trade any of it either because I feel like I've experienced things that had I taken a less creative, more safe, more passion-free route, to be really honest, I think I might be popping more pills and be doing some other things that I know other people are doing because that part of them never got fully realized. I can, I see that all the time. And so does it come with some, you know, did I make some choices <laughs> that I'm not you know, so proud of? Absolutely. Would I change them? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> that's your unique
0: journey. You had to go, you went down that path. It's as, as I caught myself saying you had to, that's one of the things that I think we're all not really conscious of is we didn't have to go down the paths we did. We chose to. Mm -hmm. It's not like there was this destiny that said, let's go down this path. It was those choices that we made to pursue certain things, whether we needed to learn. And I've thought about this a lot lately, because it's this concept of like, oh, needing to learn from your traumas. And I really believe it's the meanings we assign from them,
1: Mm -hmm. the things
0: that happen. Because I don't think we came down predestined to go through some of the, speaking for myself, traumatic things that I've gone through, like, you're going to tell a child that they had to experience that? Come on, that's that original sin thing. It doesn't <laughs> <make sense>. like, <laughs> mm-hmm. We were just exploring our way. Mm. Just like a child starts crawling and it takes his first steps. And I really think that that's a distinction that really needs to be made for a lot of people. And I'm glad we have this time to really to look at that. Because it's everything is a choice that we make, how we perceive the world, how we move from there. And you chose to harness that fire and that passion. And... Just looking at your very impressive resume that I was intimidated to read. I mean, working at Connecticut College, the Rock School of Pennsylvania Ballet, National Theater Institute, Steps on Broadway. Okay, you've worked on Broadway. Cool. Uh, You know, (laughs) dance instructor, choreographer, (laughs) all of these. You founded your own meditation center. It's it's amazing what happens when you follow your passion. And that following it is, is, that's the choice you make because there was a fork in the road that I'm sure you saw And I'd actually love to hear about forks that you've gone through. So I was like, I can go down the right path and that right path, huh? I don't know if I want to go down there, but the left path. Ooh, now that's that's interesting. Let's try that.
1: Mm. Let's go that way. Mm. You know, it's interesting when you, when you say all those things too, because part of me is like, all oh, right, those are just things that I did that are in my past. And they seem very normal, like I've normalized them. Um, so to hear somebody else kind of spit them back like oh wow yeah that's like you know those are a lot of things um in terms of Hmm. a fork in the road and choosing to continue following my passion or or other things I want to say that it's probably in the last 10 or 15 years more of those choices revealed themselves to me than before when I was you know I started dancing professionally when I was 15 19 20s, 25 so my 30s, you couldn't tell me anything else. That's that, that's what I was doing. Nothing really entered the picture. I did have times where I was working with a company or a choreographer that challenged, like, what am I doing? Feeling like the environment was, in, and I didn't have language at the time to to use like I would now, that it was hostile or unsafe or damaging or traumatic. It just it was this way and it had been that way for a long time. I was able to, with some of it, to go. Okay, i I'm, I've had enough. I need to move on to something else. But it was something still dance related. When I was approaching forty, that's when things started to change a little bit. I was like, should I? What should I be doing at forty? <laughs> and so these ideas of like owning a dance studio and like becoming more responsible or more adult or more having more stability. And that's where like real estate came in i was i got my real estate license and all these other things when you know what's really interesting is the past three years during the pandemic i have started or dabbled in a lot of other business ventures or career directions that i needed to go through to go yep i absolutely don't want to do that <laughs> that i thought i was really gung-ho about in the beginning, I was like, yeah, I could do this. This is a great way to make money, but other people are doing it. I have all the support. I have all these resources. This is cool. And then got to a point where I was like, no, I don't, I could, I could do this, but the passion's not there. I can feel like this is not expressive of who I actually am. And so it always comes back to, or what meditations really, really brought to the forefront with maybe another word for passion for me at this point is being my most authentic and genuine version of myself at all times possible. And that means the Derek who is sad, the Derek who is frenzied, the Derek who who longs for things, who, you know, all the, the light and shadow sides of myself, not just, you know, as a choreographer, as a dancer, I think I worked really hard. I trained really hard. I, came, I became very proficient because I was doing it day in and day out. So by the time I was 30, it was like, throw whatever you want at me. I can handle it. Venturing off into new avenues of like meditation or real estate or coaching now, it's like, wait a minute, (laughs) this feels kind of whatever. But the things that I keep coming back to that are sticking are the ones that help me feel a more expanded version of myself. Because those things tend to point to, oh, this is the real you. The things that you engage in that seem constrictive and make you shrink and are smaller, especially like I was working with this gentleman, uh, his name is Jason Capital, great guy, great entrepreneur, went to a couple of his workshops and kind of going down this particular path, I felt like, okay, this can be really great. And the more I got into it, the more I kept going like this. And I was like, I can't, I have to stop doing this. This is not for me. And, you know, there's some money involved. You know, there was some investments involved. And part of me looks back and goes, I can't believe I invested that. And another part of me is like, that's exactly what you needed to do to figure out that that's not what you want. You know, so just like the way you were talking about trauma or life experience itself, I'd like to think that I'm not this evolved, but I'd like to think that I have no regrets only because I feel like regret is something, is this energy that you're using to beat yourself up over something you cannot change. Are there things I wish I had done differently? Yes. Do I regret them? No. What I have different now, being older than when I had before, is I recognize that was however expensive it was, financially, monetarily, energetically, spiritually, whatever it is, that is the price of admission. That is the course fee that you have to pay to figure out what you really want. When I was 15, it was clear. I was young. I was from a broken household. Dance was the thing that was my escape. I didn't even realize until I was probably like 36 years old, 18 years out of being in my house for 18 years, that dance was like therapy for me. So as I approached 40s, I was like, wait, who are you? What do you really want to do? Your body's not going to be able to dance forever. You got to figure this out. And the figuring it out was trying on all these costumes and hats and suits of other things, thinking that they were going to lead to, I don't know what, and then hanging them back in the closet and going, nope, that's exactly what you needed to figure out. So, and I and I think that doesn't end. I believe there will be other things five years, two, three, ten years that I'm going to go, hey, let's try this costume on, and it's going to be expensive, and it's going to be exactly what I'm going to need to do to figure out whether or not I don't want to do that or not. I, and this is how I look at it. So when I was growing up, we had a pool. I remember being afraid of getting in the water because of the temperature or my ability to swim or whatnot. And now older me thinks of like looking at little me on the deck and and like trying to figure out, should he get in? Should you not get in? Is the water going like all this kind of stuff where I've had friends who've just thrown me in the pool or I just was like, whatever, and just jumped in. Whatever the result was of that, whether I liked it or I didn't like it, what I've learned from that is you will never know whether or not you want to go swimming until you jump in the water. you know, whether you climb down the ladder or you jump fully in. If I leave the deck having never got in the water, I really won't actually know. I have to like I have to go through that process. and even if I don't go in, then that's okay too. That's like what I just didn't have the ability at that time. But I know the difference between what I think I know, and the experience of it, those are two vastly different things. I enjoy the experience of it because it, it teaches me or it tells me a lot about myself that my mind cannot. My mind wants to make up all kinds of crap about what I what I can and cannot do. And my the actual doing speaks much more loudly. And so that's why I understand, okay, You had to do that, Derek. You had to go through all of that. And it's not a good or a bad thing. It just is. I love the visualization
0: you had of costumes, trying on different costumes, because it keeps it fun. You know, I think one of the things when people go through life is they get, they feel bad about it. Because there's this old paradigm that we've all grown up in where older generations, they had one job and they worked that until retirement. And they never changed. My mother was a teacher for 30 years. That was her only job. It to me, the thought of working one job for 30 years, even if I love it, it seems kind of constrictive. <laughs> so the analogy of saying costume is great because it's like, why not have fun with it? Why not trial and error? That's what life is, you know? You go through it. Sometimes you fall off that bike, you get back up,
1: you keep going. Sometimes those costumes are expensive. You know, sometimes they're dirty. Sometimes they they don't fit right. You know, that's that's the other thing. And I'm I'm glad that we're using, I've never really used that analogy before too, but like what I can relate to it now is like, oh, that's the thing is like sometimes maybe they're too big and you're trying to put a belt on them or you're trying or they're too small and you're trying to look fierce and you're like this this doesn't really work you know what i mean and i think sometimes what's different now is like you recognize oh yes this costume doesn't fit now or this costume is no longer relevant for this season right now and if you if you try to stay in it it might become really uncomfortable you might need to change it and they might rotate you might pull one out now and then you switch with another one you know what i mean like it just depends on on the season or how you're feeling and if i look at it this way then it's like oh how fortunate look how many costumes i have in the closet
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean
1: (laughs) yeah you get a custom built (laughs) closet
0: exactly (laughs) i love the analogy of costumes playfulness i want to know more about this because you started as a dancer there's that fluidity, there's that effort, there's that energy, there's that passion, there's that movement. And now we're coming into that phase, and I think you touched on it a little bit of your own mortality, getting up there and age a little bit, and now coming into what seems like almost needing a little bit of stillness. What I have a question about too is also, back with the analogy of the costumes you had said, put on a belt to know if it really fits. And that's that idea of proprioception. Are you familiar with that term? Mm. Uh, it's a fancy word for body awareness. You know, there's like, if you break it down, then there's interoception, which is internal awareness and exteroception. Exteroception is like your five senses. You can sense if it's hot out. Interoception is emotions, or you can tell if you're hungry or things like that. And if you don't cultivate that body awareness, because my own journey, it started through the weight loss and getting that proprioception. And for you, it sounds like you had to get that, that therapy of the movement to be able to feel into the body, to be able to reach into all your body, because when we have traumas or when we have, you know, trauma, capital T, lowercase T, any of those things going on, we start to separate from our body. And we, we pull back and we're not able to feel certain areas. And with that movement, you're able to, to regain some of that. But then the other side of that is we eventually have to slow down because you can't just keep moving because if you keep moving, you can avoid your problems through movement, you know, through exercising, through working too much, through traveling, through all of these things, through sex, but at the end of the night, you got to lay your head down on that pillow. And if you can't sit quietly and slow it down,
1: (laughs) you're in for a world to hurt. You know, it's interesting you say that because as a dancer, I did not love performing. It was probably the least favorite part or aspect of the career. I loved rehearsal. I loved taking class. I loved... I love my body in motion. I love moving. I love creating. I love figuring out things. Getting on stage and presenting it felt like work. And I knew how to do it and I could do it. It was my job after all. I was trained to do it. But it was unlike a lot of my friends and colleagues who lived to get on stage and hated rehearsal. I was very much the opposite. I never really wanted to get on stage. And so I noticed too, it was like, as I got older, it wasn't so much about dance itself. It was my body in motion. And now that I am older and I'm more sedentary and I don't move quite as much and there is much more stillness, especially after picking up meditation, I do see and navigate the world differently. But what what was interesting too was when I was young and I had so much energy and I was moving all the time, I remember thinking, okay, there are friends of mine, dancers who that's that's their thing. They want to perform, they want to perform, they want to perform, especially in the ballet world it can be really, really intense. And what I got to see was performers who, when that curtain came down and it was time for stillness, their way of navigating the world was not what I wanted because it was like, if there weren't people there giving attention and adoration, it's like they didn't know who they were really. And I was like, that is not what I want at all. So I kind of had this, and you know, there's like a, there's a lot of dressing room drama. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm not about this either. There's, there, there, there were a lot of aspects about the profession that I just didn't jive with. So I, I definitely tried to figure out how can I move? How can I satisfy the energetic part of it? And how can I integrate and fold in those other parts that I don't really like? And now that I, you know I teach more and I choreograph more and I sit twice a day, sometimes more with my eyes closed, turning inward and my body has changed. And what the mind wants to do because you know, when the body's in motion, sometimes the mind is like doing its own thing. It's like whatever. Now I have a very different approach and perspective and, and struggle with too, because part of me wants to move or wants to move more frequently and I don't. And so this is this is the spin I put on it. <laughs> so you know, I'm only 47. So in three more years, I'm gonna be half a century. Like that's, you know, I was I I say jokingly I was born in the 1900s, you know, sounds like a long time ago. But the thing is, I believe there's a part of me, the 75, 85, 95 year old version of Derek, that is gorgeous and wonderful, and maybe doesn't move very much at all. And this is the way that I have to get there. I got 40 something more years to get to that golden. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of see myself like just sitting there maybe with my eyes closed a lot of times just saying three or four words a day, you know, something crazy like that. But also being like, yeah, because I don't really need to say much else or whatnot. So I look at it as, you know, a journey. And I know dancers who still moving in their 60s, 70s and 80s. I don't know that that's going to be me so much. It might it might struggle back around. But yeah, finding that balance from the moving and the stillness is something I'm still working on.
0: So tell me more about what kind of sparked the idea for your best self meditation
1: center. So when I was in India, <laughs> towards the end of the training, we were there for like three and a half months. We do these things called yagyas, which is led by one of the facilitators. And basically what we're doing is there's some chanting going on and we're offering things into this fire. And it's a way of kind of vibrating and bringing out into the world these things that you want and what is it that you want and why and so as we approaching graduation the pundit who was going around would say to people what's the name of your center what's the name of your center what's the name of your center and when he came to me just came out like your best self meditation because I felt like for my my own journey like why was I there what was it about becoming a teacher in meditation that I was really seeking? was to be the best version of myself possible everywhere. And so I kind of took that lens about how I would be bringing that into the world. And so my my perspective was, I was gonna teach you meditation to help let that version of yourself that's being hindered and not being fully realized from a multitude of different things step forward and be realized so that you can then also like myself, be in the world as your best self. And so it was just kind of like partially imagination, partially heart and gut felt just kind of came out. And when it came out, I was like, yep, that's it. That's that's what it's going to be about for me. And so the idea was kind of born there.
0: That's what happens when you follow that passion. It takes you on that journey and then suddenly you're in India you're around a fire just chanting with a bunch of strangers <laughs> and then you get this idea and there it is. would you say that meditation and the time in india and you know your best self meditation center would you say a lot of the transformation in your life has sort of come from that
1: i would say asking me today the awareness that i have around the type of transformation that has happened, and how I am currently engaging in that, yes, probably the single most important thing. Because I don't know that before I found meditation that I was aware of what I'll consider evolution or constant change. But from the perspective that I believe that change is happening or evolution is that which is going from lesser sophistication into greater sophistication. And that is everything all the time. And then I cannot stop that. And I, you know, that can't be helped. I don't know that I had that perspective before. If anything, I used to think I could keep things from changing or I was able to categorize things that were similar to each other as being the same. Or now it's like, no, nothing is. When we got on the call before, nothing is the same. From when we started the call. Nothing is the same from when I just finished that last sentence. And so when I'm able to see how vast and quick evolution is happening, the question then becomes, Well, how do you want to participate in it? You know, we're aging at every second. In this realm that we're in right now, you know, we might we might want to say, Oh, nothing's changing, but as time is passing you're aging every second so nothing nothing can be the same and we we want to think that we know to what degree it's happening you know my birthday is coming up the sun's gonna set this day goes on I kind of have this I want to believe that I have this understanding of this passage of time well the difference now is oh what do you want it to look like and be like And meditation has brought to my awareness that the reality is this large thing that people keep talking about, universal cosmic self, everything is one. That's the truth. That really is the truth. And in this body with all of its traumas is kind of clouding that truth. And so my my journey now is what can I do to remove the dust, to understand that large version of myself exists? And sometimes I feel like, okay, I'm doing that. And other times it's like, no, I need to keep doing that. And and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in, I think there could be a version of myself or a version of my human experience that's completely unlike anything I've ever had. And part of me wants to believe that getting there is by not setting a goal, where almost everything else up until this point has been very goal-oriented. As a dancer, I want to get this job. As a teacher, I want to do this thing. As a professional, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Meditation is kind of go, forget all that. (laughs) You already are this thing. What you you aren't is having the experience of what that thing is, especially because you keep thinking you're something else. So, why don't you just embrace this thing that you think? Like, what's interesting with meditation is sitting with the eyes closed, having the focus inward. What can happen is you can get small or very large glimpses of this thing that I've been talking about. Sometimes to the point where it's like, oh, there is no difference. There's no difference at all. And yet, when you come back into the waking state and open your eyes, that truth seems to diminish and so you keep repeating the process and going back in and it becomes stronger and stronger and more stabilized and sometimes it's very present or i like to think it's in the backdrop it's hanging in the backdrop and other times it doesn't seem like it's there and so as as much as I have like all these goals and dreams of what I think my life's going to look like, another part of me is very open to, honey, you have no idea. You don't have no clue. You might be invisible. <laughs> you know, something might happen to you where I don't know, X, Y, Z. Are you open to that too? You know what I mean? Like, I think what's very different now is I recognize that there are infinite possibilities of my existence. Where before I used to think, there were limited ones. And now it's like, mm, what's going to happen? I don't know. My life might not look anything like I've imagined it to do. And that that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm here for it. A part of me doesn't, you know, another part of me is like, no, I want these certain things, but I'm, I'm going to let whatever happens happen, <laughs> you know, kind of take it as it comes. It's impermanent.
0: It's everything is a state of flux. That's the only universal truth that I feel like people should really subscribe to is everything is going to change. I mean, goal setting is great, you know, it helps us to build things, right? But we get so many people get so attached to these goals, they identify with those goals. There's, I mean, I think COVID taught us that. Everybody was on this, you know, business as usual, same trajectory, and then one day everything came to a screeching halt, and we we're like, wait, what? We could literally all die tomorrow. Oh, oh, let's me reevaluate my entire life's framework. And in many ways, from that point of view, it was a complete blessing. Absolutely agree. It really helped a lot of people see these things. What, my friend, is that special sauce you bring to your meditation?
1: No, I want to say ketchup and mayo, but I don't know. If that's what you're... <laughs> you
0: didn't know where that was going to go,
1: did you? Um, it's a great question that you, you're asking right now, because I feel like I'm in the kitchen making that sauce, and tasting it and wondering, it does, it does it need more salt? Does it need more sugar? Is it okay to go out like this? Is it okay to go out like that? And so if anything, the special sauce right now that I bring to meditation is myself in that I have ideas about how meditation should be taught or shared or experienced that are counterintuitive or contradictory to the ways that I was taught it. And so there's a bit of a struggle. Part of me wants to have integrity or what I think is integrity and honor tradition and respect my elders and the teachers who came before me. And there's another part of me that says, there is no substitute for who you and what you bring to meditation. And you should never, be anything less, you know, your center is called your best self, remember, not your best version of somebody else's meditation. And so I'm in this process of kind of taking ownership over teaching meditation, unconventionally, or ways that my teachers would have said, would have frowned upon. And it's it's a little scary, but I'm doing it. And I'm recognizing, I'm recognizing that Every person, even all of my teachers, to some extent, that's what they have been doing. There was a tradition, or there was a whatever, but they 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 brought their own innovation to it. They might not want to admit that or say that they want to kind of say, no, this is the way you do it, this is the way you've always done it. But thing things have, like we just said, changed over time. And so the question becomes, you know, where is my allegiance? Is my allegiance to this is where my allegiance is helping people that I believe could and want to benefit from incorporating a daily meditation practice that's brilliant right there
0: (laughs) but through that crafting and through that that wonderful uh, illustration you painted for us it reminded me of true mastery is approaching every situation with a beginner's mindset i love that whether we're all there i think as long as we go into i don't think i feel if you go into these situations with that beginner's mindset but also that security just like you said of this feels right to me. I know I'm supposed to be here. And that's how you support people, because you're firmly rooted in that purpose. Tell me about these programs you got that are coming up.
1: One is the one that I'm really looking forward to is called Meditation Crash Course, which is me. I love that name. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because it's what it is. It's a crash course, right? I, you know, I was trained in a tradition where typically you're taught over the course of four days. And there's, certain things that happen each day, all relevant, all valid, all wonderful. That's how I learned. I still teach like that. The question always became like, "Dara, could, could you, if you got stuck in an elevator with people, let's say for 45 minutes, are you telling me you couldn't teach them how to meditate? Especially if people are freaking out and all this kind of stuff. And I was, I came to the conclusion, yes, I can. I could teach people how to meditate in a variety of different situations. So what would happen if we just took 90 minutes and I taught people just to meditate in those 90 minutes? Could it happen? And I've never really done that before. I've never done that, especially live. I have a friend who owns this amazing salon in Providence. She's allowing me to have her space. It's very intimate. There's going to be maybe 10 or 12 people max. And I'm going to teach people how to meditate in the course of 90 minutes. You know, And that that would be their their crash course. This is the entry level, very different than spending three or four days with me. But I believe that it can work. So I'm really excited about that. I have a three-day course that's coming up at the end of this month that's online, so you can be anywhere in the world, and I can teach you how to meditate, which is also very different than the tradition I was trained in. Uh, I collaborate with a friend. She's into uh, EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique, and Talera, and I do some meditation. We join forces, and we do an event called MediTap that we do together, and then I host group meditations every monday morning which is free and open to everybody so whether you've learned a technique or not i want to make sure that i'm doing things where everybody has a seat at the table as well and so yeah i mean i'm I'm teaching some dance i'm doing some choreography i have a whole bunch of stuff that's going on and so i'm really excited to kind of like be getting out in the world and doing what i think like these are these are things that have been stewing in my brain and now they're out in the world and uh yeah, I'm really excited to, to see what happens.
0: That's awesome. And I'm going to drop those links in the show notes at the end of this. Is there any place that people can go if they're listening right now to find that information right now?
1: Yeah, I guess it's a great question because I'm not like a social media, like I'm not on it quite a bit. But Instagram, you can find me at Dorico, D-U-R-E-E-K-O, or on Facebook, either my name, Derek Yanford, or your best self meditation those are probably the platforms that you can find me on but you know this is what what for me if i'm so like whatever it is you can just reach out to me like drop me an email (laughs) derek at gmail.com be like what's up
0: (laughs) like honestly because i feel like
1: people feel like that that's not a thing or you can't do that like they have to look at me and they have to follow me it's like just drop me an email
0: I think we're both dating ourselves. I think the kids would say, just drop me a DM.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. This is what I want to share. So I know we've been on this call for a long time. And if you have to go, I totally get it. But if you also want to coach me a bit, I'm totally open to it. Because I think you are a magical and powerful being. And I know that I've gained a lot of value just being in your presence in the small amount of time that we've done things. And And selfishly, I want to be a better person and a better human. So if you want to coach me, cool. If we don't have the time for that, I get that.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Great. All right, my man. So what's something that's going on in your life right now that
1: you're really struggling with? The thing that pops up is procrastination. I seem to wait. and put things off to the last minute until like there's a fire raging. (laughs) And then that's kind of when (laughs) I take action. Um, But I think what's really behind that is the negative self-talk that I engage in around my procrastination, that I somehow categorize myself as a bad person or someone who shouldn't be doing that. So there's, I think, really the shame that I feel around my procrastinative
0: behavior. It's interesting. In Started this, we talked about that passion, and here it is again. You gotta wait until that that burning, that fire sensation comes into you. When that happens, outside, disconnect from the the not self voice or that that negative thought loop that keeps going in your head. What do you feel once that that fire gets going in your body?
1: Oh, I feel alive. I feel right. I feel it almost doesn't seem like a question anymore. Should the should part of it doesn't exist? It's just do. It's just go. It's just yep. It's just huh. There isn't. I'm not second guessing. It might. It might work. It might not work. I'm not. I almost don't have time to consider how it's going to to work out. There's no more time left. I've spent all that time. It's gone. So when the fire is lit, <laughs> and I have to take action, I'm usually like buzzed a bit. I'm like yep. This is it. This is all I got. This is what it's gonna be. There's not room for the judgment or even the shame. It's like I gotta go. That makes a lot of sense, honestly, because you think about it, you
0: a lot of people operate where they need that pressure and they need that fire. And too much time is really bad for them. Certain people, it's you start to doubt yourself. What does that procrastination look like? Does it mean you set a goal that needs to be done by twelve PM tonight and you wait till eleven PM to start it? Or is it you set the goal out super far and then you wait for the last minute.
1: Great question. I would say typically my procrastination looks like waking up in the morning or late last night before I go to bed, having ideas about what I'm going to get done the next day or waking up in the morning, and go, these are the things I'm going to do today. And then maybe kind of getting into the day and then going, oh, that, does that really need to be done today? Can that cannot be done this afternoon or tomorrow or the next week, or there always seems to be a space of wherever the urgency was that wasn't really urgent. So especially if you can do something else that's more enjoyable, go to the beach, go to do this, go do that. So it looks like goals that I have just picked up or tasks that I just thought I would be checking off get pushed off till later and then i might do this for a series of days and or weeks and they always just like boop, 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 boop. just like it's like kicking a can down the road okay <laughs> yeah
0: sometimes you miss it sometimes you kick it really far <laughs> yeah <laughs> tell me more about that
1: you know to to use a story or to go back to my past i think like this i'm i was a nervous performer i, I I have a bit of anxiety around performing. So before performing, especially if it's like a solo or something like that, I I I would think I would overthink it. I would, what am I gonna do? What are the judges thinking? What are people gonna think or whatever? And then usually be on stage and thinking about those things while I'm doing it. And it just being a shit show where sometimes, okay, Derek, you're on. And it was out of nowhere, like The schedule's changed or whatever. And it's like, boom, I go out and it's great because I have no, I just have to do the thing. I don't have any time to think about it at all. So I think part of it is a lot of the goals or the tasks that I want to do are created in my mind. I don't know that they're external. I don't know that a lot of people say, hey, you have to do this thing. It's like, I make up the thing. So then I also make up when it needs to be accomplished. And if it becomes a great idea in the morning, and then the more I think about it, it's like, no, you can't do that. Then we're going to push it off so I don't have to be confronted with the truth that, yeah, you can't do that. So I think I'm like procrastination to me is a way of delaying the exposure of the truth that I actually cannot do this thing I thought I could do. And so I maybe will never do it. I'll I'll sabotage it or I'll get rid of it because then I don't have to actually figure that out. That's, you know what I mean? If I really think about like, it's uncomfortable, I don't like it. (laughs) So we know you don't like that. You don't like that feeling. Sometimes
0: it's better to just get thrust out there Mm -hmm. and it feels, it's coming up as being, doing versus being. Mm. Where when you're planning and then what leads to procrastination, it's almost... That's that doing thing. And I think you touched upon it with talking about like being in the head and the head is the land of the logic. It's like, all right, let's set this goal for Tuesday at 6.30 PM. It needs to be done there. Mm -hmm. There's no connection to the heart. There's no connection to your why, what it sounds like there. It's like, it's it's half logic, half emotion. You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of got that freedom that's floating around in there, but it hasn't actually been brought down to the earth to materialize.
1: Hmm.
0: what's something you're procrastinating with right now? Let's
1: get specific. So this week, Saturday, I'm doing session three, group meditation, um, invite only. And I've been meaning to send the invites out yesterday, maybe the day before. Keep telling myself, well, it's the weekend. It's holiday weekend. I'm like, well, I'll do it after this. And then another part of me is like, oh, you could do it tomorrow. (laughs) So I feel like... and. And the the really interesting thing about it is I really want to do it. I know I'm actually going to do it, but I'm, I'm almost hung up on, I thought I would have set them out four or five days ago. So I'm beating myself up over the fact that you already, you already failed. You already didn't do it when you said you were going to do it. So what's another day? You know what I mean? It's a, it's like this, And then another part of me is like, oh, maybe because in my brain, I feel like, oh, if I invite these people, then so many people are going to show up and it's going to be amazing and all this kind of stuff. And then another part of me is like, well, what if you send out all these invites and nobody shows, then it's going to suck, right? See, that's what it's, you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that I think I'm afraid of, that it's not, my brain has imagined that it's going to be this magnificent event that's well-attended and Derek is going to show up and it's going to be brilliant. But if I send the invites out and everyone's like, I'm busy or I can't come, then that vision is going to get destroyed and I don't want to. So if I do it really late and then people can't show up, then it's not me. It's because of the timing. You know what I mean? Like This whole story wrapped up in, I don't even know. But I think I'm afraid that it's not going to be as spectacular as I want so I'm keep delaying
0: how could it be spectacular when the host is waiting to the last minute <laughs> to drop everything to drop the invites what kind of energy think about it step back and like observe and like we were talking about earlier observe that people see that like do they you want to get people there you want to get people excited about it are those people gonna be excited if it looks like it was thrown together last minute if the invitation that they got was 12 hours before, Mm. a day before, because you've told all of us about it because I got that invite. I'm on the list, thank God. (laughs) You've told us about this. So the the intention is out there, but where there's this, truthfully, you drop the fourth wall. I texted you and I was like, hey, you're still doing this. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, like you put it out there, it almost doesn't seem like you're really doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. You start to, you tell us about it, but then there's no energy. There's no effort to get there. It's just kind of like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And then two weeks go by and you're like, Oh, remember that thing I told you about two weeks ago, it's happening tonight.
1: Right. Right. And and so the other part of that is also, Oh, in my mind, the invites look a particular way with a video saying every to every person, Hey, boom. And it, you know what I mean? And then a part of another part of me. is like, Oh my God, it sounds like so much work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I have this idea of this perfect invite. And then I have this idea of you can't live up to that. So you, you know what I mean? So that it's going to be messy or, or, or whatever, you know? So even just having this conversation, it's interesting to think about whether who comes or who doesn't come, that the attendees would appreciate an invite from me sooner than later, you know? So it's like, why can't that be enough for me to just, you know, I can write an invite. I don't have to do a video right now. Like I can just right to everybody but that's like not the way that I envisioned it and so part of me is like you know you're, you're making it so difficult just invite people just fucking invite people that's it and you can you can make it more detailed or you can make it more whatever and that's what I'm afraid of I'm afraid of the invite's not going to be <laughs> the way that I want and that it's kind of silly when we think about it you know Yeah, when we think about it, but
0: it's also, it's the sense of failure is what I'm getting too.
1: Yeah. What is your definition of failure? Not living up to the image that I've created in my mind for myself. Not being able to crystallize that or check that box. That it's Derek is or can, will be this thing or have this status or reach this level and not doing it. That feels like that's what failure is to me, not achieving what I set out to do. So
0: not achieving what you set out to do. What happens on the other side of that though? Is this failure? This failure is a hard stop. To me, the definition of failure is like standing at the bottom of a mountain going, I want to climb up that mountain, but then letting fear stop you from even taking that first step. If you climb up that mountain and you fall down, dust yourself off, you go, okay, I found one path that didn't work let me go up again. Mm. Maybe you find two, maybe you find three. Would you count those as failure? If every time you're going up, you're learning, you're cultivating, you're growing, you're expanding.
1: No. And and, and now what's interesting, I feel like too, is like this, this uh, idea that there's no such thing as failure. It's only feedback, you know, and I've, I've used that with my students recently who, you know, trying to teach them a certain element and they can't do it and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you just got some feedback about how to maybe approach it differently the next time. So no, in the way that you just described, you know, better to have tried than to have not even started. And I, I you know, a logic, a logic part of me recognizes too, if you are at the bottom of the mountain <laughs> and you want to climb to the top and you think that you can get there, you're going to slide back. You're, you're going to start and stop. It, that's part of it. It just, I guess, somehow seems so daunting sometimes that I just don't want to start until I either don't have a choice or, or I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm not able to necessarily break it down in that way yet. To go, okay, Derek, just get a fucking start climbing. Like, just it's okay. I want it. I want it to be perfect. <laughs>
0: You know there's no definition of perfection. Right? There's, you can't have perfect. It's just not there. There's always going to be something. Just like we talked about impermanence, everything is changing. So what your definition mm. of perfection is, is going to change
1: day to day, minute to minute, second to second. Mm. You know, it's interesting because I feel like, okay, I cannot go back and send the invites yesterday or two days ago. I cannot do that. The only thing I can do is do it from now until I could completely redefine what that perfect invite looks like right now. Or I could stick with an old version and feel like a failure. And I don't see why sticking with that old version and feeling like a failure would be helpful to me or to anybody else. And I hadn't really thought about me changing the definition of perfection. You know, like I can I can change it right now and go, no, the perfect invite is that uh, it happens at whatever it might be. I'm the one who's standing in my own way. I, I feel like sometimes I just can't, it's hard to let go. It's like, oh, but I want it. It's like, boo, it's over. You can't. <laughs> you know, I just want to let go of that and just go do this. Just do this. It is what it is. You know, it just is what it is. I just sometimes, or a lot of times, need to be reminded. Are you going to be there to be able to remind yourself? You know, I, I think... <clears throat> What do you feel? I think it's a process. What do you feel? Let's stop using that (laughs) word, think. Yeah, I feel, okay, so this is what I feel. I feel like, okay, can't wait to get off this call because I'm gonna send the invites. And then another part of it is like, are you? (laughs) Are you really? Are you really gonna do that? So there's a little bit of conflict, Um, but that's the thing, it's like, I don't wanna think about it. I just wanna do it. You know, like, this is what's so interesting. Yesterday, I was so happy you sent me this invite, right? And I wasn't sure like when we're gonna do it. So I went to your calendar I was like, oh, there's a spot tomorrow, boom, I wanna do it early, I want to, I, I'm like, boom. And then you're like, can you send me all this stuff? And I'm like, oh yeah. you know." And I was like riding my bike, and like in a scooter, doing all this stuff. And I was like, I went to this coffee shop, I'm like, do all this stuff. Cause I'm like, the, the meeting is tomorrow. He needs to have all this shit. And there was one link I hadn't fit, figured out yet. So I just sat down and I did it. I didn't think about it. I just was like, boom. And I was like, I'll do whatever later. And I got home and I did it. Not enough time to think, just do mode. I want that (laughs) more often. I feel like I can work well like that. You have that. I have that? Yeah, you have
0: that. The only thing that is stopping you from doing that is that that not self is that guy who sits behind you on the shoulder and says, you can't do it. And that's, you know, that that's not true. The only thing that's going to stop you is yourself in this story, in this, this, this silliness, this playfulness, this sassiness you have, you know, and I see it and it's like, oh, I'm not going to, I want to send this, (laughs) but I'm not going to send it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's one of the things I love most about you, but it's like, it's, it's ingrained in you. To the point where it's like you know you're doing it it's almost like there's this playful kid inside you. was like oh, i don't want to do it. i'm not going to do it <laughs> you sit there like that but truthfully you're the only one who's going to be able to stop yourself from doing that like that that reminder that reminder this p pe- i can give you that reminder yeah i'm sure your husband your partner your friends another coach can give you that reminder but none of us are going to be there with you 24 7. Mm. so developing that and it's just like the first time you go to workout. It sucks. It's hard. You're sweating. You don't think you can do it. But the more repetition of going like, no, I'm going to do this. Because that pressure, what happens if you just sit down and you go, okay, after this call, I'm going to do it. I want it done by
1: 5.13 p.m. tonight. That feels good. And, and I feel like also like that's what I love about our time together too is because I feed off of this, this energy. And and this is, I feel like we've had this, not this same coach, but it's like, oh, oh, perfectionism and Mr. Fuckface, all that. Like, again, like it's, and it's like, right. Cause this is my theme right now. I'm still working on it. So part of me is like, great, get off this call and just send the invites and then it's done, you know? And then you can have the rest of the day to do whatever. But I I do, I need I needed this. I needed this I needed this reminder in this way to do it. Cause five thirteen writing a message to everybody seems like <laughs> piece of cake. <laughs> Great. What's the big deal? It's not. It really isn't. The 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 invite and the e in the and the video and the, all that, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But I was still I was still stuck on doing that. I'm a little more unstuck. You can do that in the
0: future. You give yourself the next one. You got more time for that. And then just like I just did there, do it with yourself. But you need to be firm with yourself. You have that passion, that dancer's passion in there. So I know you have that fire in you. You need to tap into that. I I would suggest you tap into that and go, okay, this needs to be done. Because you're your own boss. You're laying a foundation for yourself. And you're trusting yourself. And you're trusting your own word. And every time you self-sabotage, you get less and less sure of your own word. Mm. and that can show up in your body in any number of ways in your psyche any number of ways and it starts with that repetitive pattern there's that playful kid inside you who's like oh, i'm not gonna do this today <laughs> everything's good <laughs> and rather than coming up with this negative just think of it as a child rather what would happen if that was you as a child right laughing playing oh i don't want to do this tee and then some adult comes in and goes you're gonna do this now
1: and it's really
0: aggressive <laughs> with you what would that feel like?
1: Yeah, I'd probably get it done. Oh, you know what I mean. There's, yeah, I'm like, okay, it's time to do it. So, can you be that inner voice for yourself? I want to say yes. I want to say yes. I think I need to cultivate it. I think it's it's possible. The little kid is a little, you know, is a little stronger right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a process. It's a process. Because, you know, I think the history that I have, too, is like, well, I'm not doing it. If I don't want to, I'm not doing it. I don't, you know what I mean? Kind of a thing. But So we're not going to
0: go backwards anymore.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: One of the things I've observed in so many people and so many coaching sessions with clients, people in my life, I do it myself, you do it, is we just keep reinforcing these beliefs by going like, yeah, I can do that. One, two, three second pause. But... And then we go off on this tangent of reinforcing why we can't do it. Mm. You know, you keep saying, I think, and we're tapping into that logical center. And if you say, I can't do this because you're going to get those answers, Mm. right? Your brain is just going to go, you're right. We can't do this because you have a whole 47 years history of not doing that. Mm. And it's going to go, oh, you're, you're, you're not organized. You're not weak. You're not perfect. It's not going to work. Right. When, if we just go, no today. I'm focused on now. Can I get this done now? One step. That's all I need to focus on is this next hour to get this done. Did I get it done? Boom, great. Is that proof that you can do it? Mm. And then as time starts to move past that, you now have concrete evidence that when you set something in stone and when you tell yourself that you're gonna get it done, you look back to that moment and go, I got it. Okay, I did this.
1: Mm. Mm. How is that landing for you? I mean, there's something about what you just said that just makes it sound simple and easy. Like, I don't have to drag all the other bullshit with this task. This task is this task. It's in front of you right now. But you have everything in your power to accomplish it. And anything you're bringing in from the past that's dragging you down, you you don't need. I don't need that. No, You know what's? I think that what I'm realizing too is like nobody... (laughs) Who I will invite knew or has any idea they don't even know that they're gonna be invited yet they have no idea what the invite in my brain should have looked like so what the fuck are you what do you <laughs> you know what I mean mm-hmm. no one's expecting a particular thing so that almost that almost feels like oh good fuck great it feels it feels it feels like a relief to be honest it feels expansive yeah yeah <laughs> Yes. Almost feels, almost feels, I feel lighter. It feels almost easy. It's like, oh, this is, you can do it in four minutes, Derek.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing. It's like, we can do it in four minutes or we can spend 12, 24, 36 weeks (laughs) in four minutes. (laughs) If you started to keep an itemized count of the time you spent on this, imagine if you were working for somebody else and you go, okay, so that, that email, I sent it, but here's a, 36 hour bill for it
1: (laughs) yeah okay cool i'm actually i'm excited i'm excited to i love this but i'm actually excited to get off this call so i can send us these invites (laughs) okay well this seems like a great place to stop then (laughs) no seriously no i appreciate you i I really do because it's like i feel a change and i'm like i'm okay i'm ready So I want to strike while the iron's hot too, so. Before
0: you go, what is the biggest insight from this session?
1: I'm making up a lot of bullshit, you know? I'm just involved in untrue things. Like there's a voice or there's a something else that's piling on shit that's not true at all. Just this fear and failure, it's all not true. I'm not a fucking failure. (laughs) That is not true. You know, and I, I know that this voice is part of the thing that wants to keep me safe. The uncomfortableness. Don't do this. I get that. It's just not true, bro. It's not true. So yeah, the biggest insight is I'm kind of standing in my own way and I don't need to.
0: Mm. That's beautiful. I love that insight, Derek. Hey, it was great having you today. Thank you so much for your time, brother.
1: Thank you so much. Any, anytime. You're
0: the bomb. Thank you so, so much for checking out this podcast. I have a blast every time I hit record on these things. Wherever you found me, please give me a five-star review. Give me a seven-star review if that's a thing. I don't even know. And if you know someone who would find value from anything I said today, please share it with them screenshot this and post it on ig in your stories and make sure to tag me with it you can follow me at underscore i'm matt stewart that's underscore i-m-m-a-t-t-s-t-e-w-a-r-t on the i <laughs> peace